0: This is the first of two special bonus episodes recorded live at the Queen's Public Library on December 15th, 2022. Mark and I had the opportunity to interview the Chancellor of Schools for all of New York City, David C. Banks. Banks was appointed by our mayor, Eric Adams, and is just finishing up his first year on the job. As you might remember from the final episode of Season 2... The district-based diversity planning processes that were supposed to have launched under the previous administration just sort of fizzled out once the COVID-19 pandemic hit New York. They were never officially canceled. So we started by asking Chancellor Banks if he thought diversity planning would ever come back. And if not, why not? This event was co-produced with two news organizations, The City and Chalkbeat New York. A reporter from Chalkbeat, Rima Amin, was our moderator for the evening. And it's Rima's voice you're going to hear first.
1: First, you're going to hear from um, Max and Mark, and they will be interviewing the New York City Schools Chancellor, David Banks, who himself is a product of Queens. Um, And then afterwards, I'm going to sit down with Max and Mark, um, and we're going to sort of peel back how they crafted the podcast and some of the lessons that they came away with. But before all of that, I would like to introduce Vijay Ramjathan, the president of Community Education Council for District 28. Thank you so much. Good evening, Queens. How are you? All right, District 28 here. Yes, my name is Vijay Ramjan. I'm the president of CC28. And back in 2019, we were bombarded by so many newspapers and articles and reporters and everyone because the word diversity came up. And of course, Max and you know his team came over, and Mark came over and is like, Yay, we're gonna interview you also. And now uh, we're all here today. So yeah. <laughs> um, so first I want to welcome Chalkbeat and the city to Queens here, uh, District 28. And we are a very vibrant community. We speak our mind, literally. I and mean, many of you have heard uh, the podcast, all the episodes and You want to hear Venus' voice, right? She's here tonight, yes. And you want to hear, yes, you want to hear all the other voices, right? And you heard me saying, okay, everyone have a seat now, have a seat now. That was me, right? But the point was, the point is, there's no right time to speak about diversity, equity, and inclusion. It's always the right time. And at D28CC, when I became president, I made sure we had a vow that we're going to create a platform like no other where the voices of our community stakeholders, mainly our parents, will be elevated, respected, and given a platform to be reached the masses, especially when it becomes uh, anything concerning their children's education. I want to thank Max and Mark for their work, for coming to our district and investing time to see that this is important. And if everyone keeps shoving it under the rug, it remains. And then my grandkids, my three kids are here today, and their children go through the same thing. But some of us, one of us has to take that bold step, and they did. And we thank them for that incredibly. And this is going to be part of history. Because for the first time, we had a very scholarly level of looking at diversity, what prevents it, and how we can improve it also. So I am saying to all of you who are here, to our entire community who is here, thank you for speaking up. And as our Chancellor is walking in, Mr. Banks is walking in, I want to let him and his team know. Also, we will continue to speak up. We will continue to be the voices of our community, especially when it becomes anything concerning our children. Again, I'm Vijay Ramdhan, CC President.
2: Welcome. Woo, thank you. One,
0: two. Uh-huh. Here we go. Okay. Um, hi, everyone. <laughs> thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm Max from School Colors. I'm Mark.
3: And uh, I'm David Banks, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Spools> <laughs> Chancellor. Good to see everybody.
2: Okay. Well, thank you on behalf of all of us here on stage. Thank you for, for being here. Um, we don't have a whole lot of time with you, yep. so we're going to try to get right into it. Sure. Um, and please, you know, if we cut you short, it's not because we're trying to be rude, but because we wanna make sure we get to, to certain questions. So we're gonna just have a few broad questions and then ask you some, um, some follow-up. So uh, the first one is a somewhat obvious question, right? Uh, Though, as everyone knows, the second season of School Colors was about the diversity planning process and how it fared in, in District 28. And, and just so you should know, I was actually on the diversity working group in District 16 in Brooklyn. Yeah. And so, I, I, for the record, if you can tell everyone what is the status of not only the District 28 diversity plan, but really diversity planning in general throughout New York City?
3: Well, first of all, good evening, everyone. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here. and uh, happy to be invited to be here. This is also kind of my stomping grounds uh, as, as well. I went to Hillcrest High School just a few blocks from here. Used to catch the Q4 in the bus terminal right across the street although I had not been in this library for, for, for many years. Um, the, the diversity plans um, in in a couple of districts are really still works in progress, I, I, I would say. Um, um, it's just interesting, as, as I have come into the space, um, the word that I have tried to suggest is that uh, I believe that diversity is a great thing. I think that integration efforts are a great thing. Um, um, and I stand prepared to support districts uh, as they want to move forward with their integration plans. Um, but you've not heard me promote that in a significant way, and and there's a reason for that. Uh, and that reason is because I often think that um, our diversity efforts are a little bit miscast. I think I think the narrative that we talk about diversity. Um, in many ways, it's from an old model that, 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 that represents a, a, a very different New York. I don't know how many people even recognize that New York City is 41% Latino students in our New York City public schools. New York City public schools, in terms of African-American students, is only 24%. I'm, very often I mention that, and people are really surprised to hear that that number on African-American is that low and dropping every year. Asian community is 17%. White community is 14.5%. And so historically, when we talk about integration, we've historically, not always absolute, but historically been talking about ways in which we integrate black and white communities. Uh, The black community in New York City public schools uh, has been dropping, and the white population. So we start saying, well, what what are we integrating? My focus has really been about the quality schools that we need to have and getting away from the scarcity model. When my family moved uh, from Brooklyn to Queens, we moved to District 29 solidly middle class uh, and the schools were not, were not of the standard that they needed to be for many, many years. Why don't we create better quality schools in those neighborhoods? Why should the, so many kids have to leave their neighborhoods to, in search of a, of a school you know, for the, you know, f- with respect to an integrated school model? Generally, when we integrate, we're talking about a handful of black and brown kids who get to go to a school with white kids and we don't even talk about all the other black and brown kids that we've just left behind. Like, they're not even part of the story, right? And so the story becomes this, this smaller group of students who we created a path forward for them. But I'm really talking about how do you develop excellent schools in the very neighborhoods that the kids live in, um, and there should not be this notion that you have to go someplace else to have a, qual- a high-quality school experience. That is what my focus has been. Now, that being said... Other districts who are engaged in this process, I fully support it and will continue to support it. Any district that w- looks to do like what they did in District 15 in Brooklyn to have a a, a, a community driven integration model um, they'll get the full support of this chancellor
2: okay well let me let me follow up on that because what you just said is a popular refrain throughout the throughout the series that is this idea that Rather than you know having these dis- disruptive integration plans, why don't you just make schools better for everybody, particularly on the south side when we're talking in the context of District Twenty Eight? And we know that the whole point of diversity plans is not necessarily just to mix kids up; it's really to try to raise the level, uh, the quality of, of of education. So, with that said, what uh, if you don't do that? That is, if you don't, if you're if you're not if you if you are not in some way promoting integration diversity, how do you raise the level of all schools? Because it's a, it's a nice thing to say, but what, how, does, how do you make that happen? What's the, what's the special sauce, so to speak?
3: <laughs> the, the special sauce, first of all, starts with leadership. Right? You, you, you have to have people who sit at the helm who really give a damn, number one. And what I mean by that is just because you sit in these seats of leadership doesn't mean that you care deeply enough I'm a product of this school system. They didn't find me from somewhere out of town. I grew up here from kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. I've been, I was a teacher, an AP, a principal, founded two different schools, and I'm convinced that when you have the right leadership in the schools, and when you have teachers who are, who get the the right kind of support and training, and you have the right superintendents in those districts, you can absolutely drive and have quality. But, it, but, but you have to be intentional about it, you have to know how to measure it. We're doing a whole host of things. We've only, I've only been here for one year. And it's a huge system, and I get it. Um, but I didn't, I didn't take this position to just play at being chancellor. I came here really to make a real, a real difference. So let me give you one example of what I, what, what I mean by that in terms of you can have a higher quality school experience. For the last 25, 30 years, we shifted how we even teach kids how to read in New York City. And not only in New York, but across the nation. We went from the basic phonetic approach to the teaching of reading to this whole language balanced literacy approach. And the results are in. It, it has not worked. And it has not worked particularly for young people of color. And you just, all you have to do is look, is look at the data. And you're seeing districts all across the nation are shifting from that. And we're gonna to return to giving the teachers the right approach that they need at the very earliest ages because the die gets cast for so many young people very early on in this process, Mark, because we're not even giving these kids the opportunity to learn how to read. All the research tells us if they don't learn to read uh, and on grade level by third grade, you're fighting an uphill battle after that. That, that, that has to be, with a, with a system that has a $38 billion budget, that has to be a given that all of our kids are going to be able to learn to read at the third grade. So we are... We're retraining all of our leaders, we're retraining our teachers, um, so that we can get it right at the earliest ages, uh, number one, and then number two, why do we send our kids to school in the first place? What's the point of, what is the point of school? I might get 100 different answers in the room, and that's not a good thing. Um, You know, you send kids to go and play sports, they're very clear about why they will work really hard at practice. They will do the wind sprints, and they will do the push-ups and they will do all that, Training, because they're very clear, they're trying to win the game, they're trying to win the title, they're trying to win the trophy, they're trying to win the championship. Very clear what they're focused on. You ask kids in school, why do you go to school? What's the point? And you'll get 100 different reasons. So the, so the, the very goal that we're trying to achieve is not universally clear to anyone. So I'm trying to bring a greater degree of clarity. I want all young people to be able to graduate on a, with a real career pathway and, 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 and on a path to economic prosperity. And I think when they understand that, it makes everything that you do in school have meaning. There's a difference between schooling and educating. And there's a reason why so many Americans don't vote. There's a reason why so many kids that we graduate, we give them high school diplomas, and yet they have no idea how money is made in this country. They have no idea about how the government actually works and functions and operates. The entire system that we're seeking to integrate is fundamentally flawed. So we can play around on the margins all we want. I didn't come here for the playing around in the margins. I wanna fully reimagine what a school experience really should be for all kids. Whether you get a chance to sit next to Latino kids, white kids, black kids, Asian kids, that's actually less of a priority for me than what is the what is a quality school experience in the first place. And so there, there's a lot of work that we have to do more. This doesn't just turn around overnight. But, but, but I am committed, I, I do think that we know what quality schools should be. And I do believe that it can be more than just rhetoric and that we can absolutely make it happen. I would not have taken this job otherwise. Um, I'd
0: like to ask you a question about something that you said about integration and and about the diversity plans. Um, uh, You said that the thinking about this uh, relies on an outdated model, which is just about integrating black and white and that's not what the city looks like anymore. And that's something we talk about a lot. It's part of the reason we were excited to do season two in Queens is because that's something that we wanted to talk about. And, you know, we have talked, Mark and I have talked to a lot of uh, integration advocates as well as people who are not necessarily about that. Um, And we talked to a lot of people who were involved in diversity planning in District 28. And what we heard from everybody was that they understood that too. That the reason to put resources behind a process of diversity planning was to go out and talk to people and say, okay, so what does diversity mean to you? Because we all know that that model is outdated. And in fact, the DOE under the previous administration adopted the five Rs of real integration, which, which was supposed to reflect exactly what you just said, that integration actually requires all of these other things and is not just about putting black and white kids in seats next to each other. Um, so given that, how do you, and, and I think if you listen to the show, but you also don't need to listen to the show, it's really hard to deny that in this city, the quality of education is tied in many cases and in many ways to race and family wealth and income. So all of that being the case, how do you expect that to change without going through an intentional process with some resources behind it to talk to people about what they need in their schools and what diversity means and could mean for them?
3: You know, I, I, so, so there are a couple of things. One, um, I, I, I absolutely uh, fully support uh, any community effort at making those kinds of changes. Well, I did not want to ride in on a white horse as chancellor and say, I figured this out, and I think I know what's best for everybody. And, and I want to actually make sure that I'm going to implement an integration plan uh, for all of you because I, I know the value that it has. New York City is not only the largest district in the country, but it's the largest by far. And the breadth of opinion that you have across the city is so diverse. Uh, you know, you come out here to a community community out here in, in, in Jamaica, Queens, and, and some of the thinking is, is very different than you might see, see and hear in the South Bronx. Um, and, and, and so I want communities to feel empowered uh, to voice their own feelings around what they would like to see for their district. Uh, I've been criticized you know, quite often for varying decisions that we've made. You know we decided uh unlike the prior administration not to get rid of gifted and talented programs I had other well, actually
0: that's a that's a, that's exactly the next thing i wanted to ask you about so <laughs> well, i'm going to go ahead and ask yeah. a question about that
3: so you did
0: decide to expand the gifted and talented programs as, as they exist now um if you listen to episode eight of season two we go pretty deep into the way that that program is structured and other what some experts say about how accelerated learning opportunities can be provided in different models um, and one of the things that you've said in deciding to expand the program as it exists is that you've been listening to the voice of the community. You wanna be responsive to what the community is saying right. about what they want in terms of accelerated learning in G&T specifically. Sure. I guess my question is, um, when we talk about the community, the voice of the community, what mm-hmm. the community is saying, as right. you were just saying, this is the biggest school system in the country by a lot. There's a lot of different communities and a lot of people saying a lot of different things about this issue specifically. Absolutely. So how do you go about making decisions in that context when the, you know there's a lot of different opinions out there and the voices that are naturally going to rise to the top are those that are, that are the loudest, sometimes not always the most privileged, and certainly the, the ones who feel the most threatened by Absolutely. change. Absolutely.
3: You know, there, there's, there's, a, um, there's a wide range range of ways in which we gather information and how we in fact listen you know we've got community education councils we've got more parent organizations uh, than anything else uh, in the new york city public schools uh and and very strongly opinionated um we have hosted a series of town halls i'm doing town halls whether they're virtual or in person on a regular basis there's surveys there's town halls we've got a family and community engagement office um, who's fully charged with being out in the community and listening. I talk to elected officials on a regular basis uh, and just constantly being in the community as well. What I heard overwhelmingly, not everybody, but I heard overwhelmingly, um, don't get rid of G&T, expand it. Part of the reason that people were upset about it was because of the scarcity of it. And so folks were at each other's throats for a handful of seats, uh, but expanding
0: the program by about 1,000 seats is not the same thing as making sure that every student has access to accelerated learning. No, programs. no,
3: that's, that's just the first step. It's just the first step. You know? and, and as I said, the system is large, it's complicated. You don't turn it completely on its head overnight. Um, these are signals. And, uh, and, and so we just, you know, you take, you take one step at a time and you try to order your steps properly to make sure that you're on the right track. And so it was just, it was an attempt to try to at least move in a certain direction um but again we will we will we are constantly listening we listen you know we got our folks i don't get a chance to listen to every episode uh <laughs> but we got folks who listen this is a very popular podcast and there are others as well so we try to keep our hand on the pulse of what's going on um and recognizing that no matter what decision you make um you know you got 50 percent of the people maybe with you and 50 percent of the people who are going to be diametrically opposed um that's just the nature of being in a big place like New York City. The whole world lives here, right? And so as you travel across the city, sometimes folks who live in a particular district, just, you know, they may think that the whole school system is just their district. Uh, but, but from the seat that I'm in, I've gotta move around the whole entire city. And, and, uh, and I've gotta hear what everybody's saying. And then try to make the best decisions that I can.
2: How do you hear everybody? I mean, because as Max was mentioning, the people who you are going to hear are the people that you hear all the time.
3: No, 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 that's not, not, not necessarily that. That might seem like the most obvious thing, right? Um, but, but I also, I'm engaged in listening sessions on a regular basis. We got one of our superintendents here who I see right now, right? Um, very early on, even in her tenure, brought a, brought a packed room full of parents and community members together. That's not something that anybody heard about on, on, on any well, podcast? Okay. or okay, but who, sh- I mean, right.
2: I, I, I don't want to, I think that's a good thing, mm-hmm. but even the people who show up to those meetings are probably the people who are already tied into you know, some kind of social or civic network or something like that and have uh, have a leg up on on others, p- people most, most active. So how do you get to people who, uh, as Max said, are not necessarily, uh, don't have the same kind of social capital, are not necessarily tied into networks, and are not going to be able to voice their opinions and what they're thinking in a way that, is, that equals what other people have means or how they're able to express themselves.
3: Yeah, yeah. See, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not the chancellor who's the guy from the sidelines. So if, if you know me, you know what my career has always represented. I, uh, I was the guy who is fully attuned to community and, and fully engaged in community. And What that means is that I'm not the one who just sits and listens to the loudest voices in the room, or the folks who are just always um, the ones who show up at the meeting as well. Um, but because I'm from this system, born and raised, my entire career has been here. I know a lot of people across the city, and and I talk to lots of people on a regular basis. I don't stay in the in, inside the halls of Tweed and uh, uh, and then just hear from them. The most politically active and engaged people. Um, I'm out and about on a regular basis, and uh, and folks are not shy about letting me know about what they feel. Okay,
2: let me let me shift gears a little bit. So we're in district we're in district 28 right now. Um, you're from Southeast Queens, or at least from Crown Heights, went to Southeast Queens, same trajectory as myself actually, mm-hmm. um, and the mayor has a Southeast Queens history. The city council president has a, uh, speaker has a a Southeast Queens pedigree. What's up with that? (laughs) Um, You said, you suggested that's a bad thing? No, 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 not at all. I'm just saying that is there something special or there's something about what happens in Southeast Queens or the way folks have been educated there that has allowed for this moment? Is it just a coincidence? Or do you feel like there was something that is special to the Southeast Queens experience that got you here and has essentially put the city in a position where Southeast Queens folks are at, are,
3: are at the helm? Well, first of all, we got Southeast Queens folks here in the house. Southeast Queens is very, very special to me. Let me just, first of all, <laughs> let me just say that. <laughs> my, mom and, my mom and dad raised three boys. I'm the oldest of the three. And, uh, and I had a great experience. I had a great experience growing up. I had great school experiences. Um, it, was a good, it was a good way for me to grow up as, uh, as I'm sure, you know, you've had your own great experiences uh, a, a, as well. But that being said, now I think what you're witnessing now just in this particular moment is, is somewhat of a coincidence. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't know that it's something so unique to the Southeast Queens experience mm-hmm. that that's the reason why you have this mayor the speaker of the city council, this chancellor, you know, the, Carl Hasty is not from Southeast Queens, right? Um, there are a lot of people in other leadership positions who are not from here. Um, but I do think that the thing that we had is that we had community who did in fact care about us, but that's not unique to Southeast Queens. You know, you grew up in Bed-Stuy. Um, if, if, if you've got, strong family unit, and sometimes even when you don't, you've got a church, you've got, you've got your tribe, you've got your community that's wrapping arms around you. It gives you, the, it gives you the best shot at being most successful. So that's not unique to any one particular community. Well, let me ask you this. It, it may be a coincidence, but
0: uh, it, is what, it is what's happening. And we painted a picture in the series, uh, for better or worse, of the south side of the district being for many decades, um, as a result of historic housing discrimination, racially segregated. And as a result, uh, you know, uh, parents and families in the south, south southern part of the district uh, being ignored and their schools being disinvested from. Um, so now, you know, we do have from southeast Queens, the people who have the most power over the school system are from southeast Queens are black and from southeast Queens. So um, what do you think that means for the schools on the south side?
3: When I talk to all the elected officials from southeast Queens, you know, the main thing that they say to me? we need you to do everything you can to fix these schools. We need District 29. We need, we need it to be a beacon. We're sick and tired of watching all of our best and our brightest and most accomplished young people leaving the district to go to other parts of Queens. They, they've never said a word to me about integration efforts. Not once. They have said to me over and over and over again, there's no reason why our schools right in this community cannot be excellent schools. And we need your support to help make that happen. So when I say, so people sometimes think I'm against integration. I am absolutely not. My middle school that I went to when I moved from, from Brooklyn to Queens, because the local middle school was not good. And my father said, you're not going to that school. And he used whatever influence he could use to get us. to I think we were in District 25 in Flushing, Queens. And uh, my middle school doesn't even exist anymore, Campbell Junior High School. It was a great school. It was an integrated school. Um, but, but, I, so, but I'm just telling you, this is what I hear from them, not how do you create more pathways for, for the kids from 29 to go to 28, or to go to 26, or to go to 25, but rather, how do we build and make what we've got here stronger? We want some beacons in our own community so our kids and our families will stay right here. And so that's what I'm committed to doing, although I'm not opposed to any integration efforts. I don't think it has to be this or that, I think there can be some level of combination and balance and blend that we can try to find uh, to meet the needs. Because even when we have some great integration efforts at play, what that generally means still is there are a whole lot of kids that are still right where they were and in, in, in the schools that they were going to. But the conversation shifts away from them. You know, The thing that I've always been opposed when we talk about integration efforts, you know, you, you talk about kids very often going from Ocean Hill, Brownsville, you know, to, 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 to Brooklyn Heights or Park Slope. We never talk about it in reverse, <laughs> you know? We never talk about kids from Park Slope going to Ocean Hill, Brownsville to integrate the schools, right? And so, so when I think about that, there's the, 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 a finite number of kids who will go from this one neighborhood to go over there. But then what about all the other kids that are still sitting there who don't go anywhere?
2: Well, I mean, I will say this. I mean, I, I, and then I think the point we've made in the podcast is that when we talk about integration, it's always a means to an end, right? And I think that what you said about black folks and them not raising integration, I think that's true, but I think it's more nuanced than that okay. because uh, I think that if given the choice, if given the opportunity, people would probably choose an experience where they get to see people all over the place and globally right. and, and and have relationships with different kinds of people. in fact, when we you know in the podcast, Venus famously says. Look, I want my children and I want our children to see the world, right? right. So, is beyond the the, the pedagogical uh, value to it, which I think is I think I don't want to I think is very important. Is there any other value as far as us being a part of the world and our human growth?
3: Absolutely, absolutely. And and I'm open to folks helping to chart the way on how to do those things. They're easier said than done, but I am, I'm in total agreement. I think any room that has a level of diversity of thought and experience is, is, is a better room for that experience.
2: I, I will say this, though. We do know in, in, in America that ain't going to happen on its own. People are not going to make that decision passively. It's going to have to be a policy. It's going to have to be structured. And some people may have to be brought into it kicking and screaming, as we know, throughout the history of the United States, all the things of value, you know, people resisted at first. So how do we take it from it would be nice to have to something we make sure does happen?
3: We're, we're, that, and I, and I, I'm in total agreement with you as well, right? Um, um, uh, and, and that's something that we're gonna have to spend more time really focusing on doing. It was not my priority walking in the door. And that's essentially, I guess, that's my point that I'm trying to raise. Got almost a million kids, um, 1,900 schools across the city. Uh, I've heard this argument before I even got into this seat. And I've heard it at length. And there's a lot of time, effort, and energy that gets spent. Um, and yet, while all that is happening, I'm still watching all these other kids get an inferior education. That, that has been my priority. Um, and to the degree that I'm able to gain some momentum in doing that, I think I'll find myself probably with more air space to drive some of these other kinds of conversations, which I think are of great value. Um, but this is a system that is so large. There's so many priorities. And, 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 and what I've come into a place was a place that, there's so many things that are broken, Max. It, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. Early childhood had so many challenges. Special education, fundamentally broken um, on so many levels. The, the amount of like priorities that are in your face every single day is huge. And I watched Carranza as he was here and I was with him about a week or so ago. Um, and he was, he was the equity warrior. He was the equity champion. Um, um, my whole career has represented uh, equity. The work that we did with Eagle Academy, which we, we had a school in every borough and one in Newark, New Jersey. You See the other day, we got 3,000 of these young men across these places and spaces. So we weren't just sitting around talking about it. We were doing it. So what, what, what my career has represented is an equity initiative. I just don't walk around talking about equity where people are in a Zoom and start doing this. I'm, I'm trying to actually deliver some real results with people doing real stuff. I have no, I have very little patience for the rhetorical debate. I wanna deliver some stuff for kids and families and communities and that is my priority, doesn't mean it's the only thing that I'm thinking about, but that's certainly what I've come out the gate very focused on.
0: Well, I, uh, I hope that you succeed. <laughs>
3: Truly, yeah, yeah. no, I mean
0: it. I hope, like but what you just said, I hope that you succeed. I hope that you deliver for children and families, because yeah. they deserve
3: it. Word, word. Well, I, pre- I, I appreciate it. I appreciate both of you. I appreciate uh, the very important work that you continue to lift up. Mm, thank you. Um, we recognize that, uh, that what we're doing is it's a Herculean effort. School, school systems all across the nation say they want to have quality schools, right. but but more often than not, they default to well, we only we can only really make it work for a couple of schools. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, good luck. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm at least going to spend my time, effort, and energy very focused in that place and space. Um, that's who I've been my whole life, and and the work that led me into this position was 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 a body of work around black and brown boys, the community that many districts have run away from. Many schools have run away from. Black and brown boys are at the bottom of all the indicators. They're the ones that face the greatest challenges at at every single level. I didn't just dance around that. I leaned into that. And leaning into that, it taught me that what some people think can't be done, I know can be done. And so now, this is our next challenge. How do you make those kinds of things happen for a large school system? And I'm still figuring that out. I got some strong ideas. Uh, but I know I can't do it with, unless I fully engage community in this process I've got to have the right leaders in these districts to help to drive this work who understand what our priorities are um and we're going to listen to parents and families because they have to be part of it for many years we 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 kind of dance around that we t- we talk at them um and I, and I want them to help me to co- to co-create a path forward and it may not look the same from one district to the next um but it's the work that I'm committed to and it's the reason why I'm here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. So thank much. you, thank you. Okay. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank, thank, you. You. Thank, you, thank you. Thank
0: you. Coming up in the second part of School Colors, live from Queens, we talk with Rima Amin from Chalkbeat about the making of School Colors Season 2, take questions from the audience, and dig a little deeper into some of what we heard from Chancellor Banks huge thank you to everyone from the Queens Public Library, Chalkbeat New York, and the city for making this event happen. To everyone who came out on a rainy Thursday night to attend, and to Morgan McGuire and Abby Levine for sound engineering. Do you have thoughts or questions about our conversation with the chancellor or anything else you've heard on School Colors? We want to hear from you. You can write to us at contact at brooklyndeep.org or leave us a voicemail at 929-483- 6387